Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 77 of DM Discussions, the podcast for players and DMs alike, where we cover a wide variety of topics to help you with your games. I'm your host, Ryan Reeder, and with me, as always, is my good buddy, Ben Bumhofer. How are you doing tonight, Ben? I am doing fantastic tonight, Ryan. It's one of those days where, you know, I'm sitting at work, just waiting for things to happen. All of a sudden, it's DM Discussions time. And not only is it a great time, it's an extra special time tonight. Yep, because we have an extra special person joining us. Uh, this evening is the fantastic Ryan Service. Hello, Ryan. How are you doing tonight? I'm I'm doing great. I'm having, having a great week. It's a great week when you get a lot of writing done. Good. That's, that's been, great. <laughs> that's been a theme. <laughs> uh, so, so far, so good. Enjoying it. Awesome. Well, uh, Ryan is joining us from 2C Gaming, co-owner and game designer at 2C Gaming. Um, And I'll let him introduce himself a little bit, but you've been doing the writing and the tabletop and the D&D stuff for quite a while. Yeah, so I've been doing writing and design for about five years now in the third-party publishing space for primarily 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons. We started out doing Pathfinder and D&D. versions of stuff and then that stopped happening for obvious reasons and then yeah i've been doing a lot of design work uh published a lot of different books um did a lot of like project leading the one you know coming up with the thing and executing the vision and doing the majority of the writing which is always a really interesting process uh and basically self-taught in this um because you know it's hard to get a general education in how to write rpg books (laughs) Very true. Um, and yeah, so started the company five years ago and been building all kinds of stuff and generally sort of gravitated towards finding underserved niches in fifth edition that we thought were really worth exploring because we were so passionate about D&D and that sort of pushed us into higher level content because that area is legendarily underserved. That is the the understatement of the year for sure. If you, I mean, if you, and that's one of the reasons um, I wanted to have you on because high level D&D is probably one of the lesser talked about things too. I mean, if we just look at things from a first party perspective, uh, most of the wizard's books do not go past 12th level. There's Mm -hmm. the occasional mini campaign here or there. There's like a few of the standalone adventures from Radiant Citadel that do go a little bit higher than that, but overall uh official content for tier three tier four of dnd 5e has been very lacking and so third parties have had to fill in that gap and you and uh the designers and 2c gaming are one of the biggest proponents of that yeah it's it's been a discussion we've been having for a while and we've done a bunch of different products to sort of explore that space from like monster books to like creating an epic tier just to see what would happen and uh, a lot of things in between playing a lot of games in that space too and and basically like tearing the whole edition apart brick by brick and and like building it back up and saying okay so like what's happening here like mechanically what's happening because our theory has always been if games are fun, people will play them. So the whole thing of people don't want to play high tier, it's like, well, because people aren't having fun. Why is that? Um, where, where, where's, where are the problems happening? Where's the, where's the process breaking down? So it's yeah. been, been a lot of experiments, a lot of oh, spectacular, sure. spectacular explosions where <laughs> things went horribly wrong, um, and sometimes wonderfully right. So, yeah. yeah 
That's awesome. And that's a great lead into kind of our, our first topic, because uh, a lot of this episode, we just kind of been wanting to to pick your brain on on a lot of the mm-hmm. like uh, tier three, tier four stuff, because, again, there's not a lot of official first party tips, tricks, or even examples on how to run these things. Uh, so let's let's start with um, let's start with challenges for DM prepping. Because the those high levels, a lot of what I hear about is it's it's fun, but it's hard. You have to it's a lot more work on the DM side of things. So I wanted to kind of start there and and get your get your thoughts on just DM wise. How do I do tier three, tier four? That's a great question. Um, and I could probably talk for 20 minutes straight and give an answer. So to sort of specify it even further, we've more or less identified three areas in which the problem is is manifesting um, or where the addition is breaking down. So we have from a like product production standpoint. So like where is the the products? Where where is like what's coming out? Where is that like failing? dms and players who want to run games in this space then we have the actual like uh tools to do it. it's like what is the game saying you should do in order to run these games and then we have like the design of the content so what about tier three content in the books like the monsters the spells the magical items whatever what about that is going wrong um, so if, you know, if we have a specific one of those that we think is the most interesting, so, you know, for me, the design is the most fascinating one, but I have strong opinions about all three, uh, about where, where things are sort of, uh, breaking down. Do we have a preference as to which one? I, I would be okay listening to you for 20 minutes, yeah. breaking, <laughs> breaking down uh, all the things. Uh, but let's, let's, I mean, we, we kind of know that, for as far as the the first one goes, like there's just not a lot of first party stuff that shows you how to do it. We know that that's just a problem that's kind of self-explanatory. They're they're just not putting out that content. So maybe let's let's focus on uh, the the prepping or the um, DM knowledge base, which mm-hmm. is is lacking, and then uh, the the monsters and such as well. Sure. Yeah. So. When you're told to run a game of fifth edition and you turn to like the high level stuff, more or less the interpretation the game is presenting to you is that high levels are a factor of numbers and damage, um, which isn't, it, it, that's just not how it works. Um, if you do that, you're going to have a bad time, guaranteed, unless you're playing with the kind of table that can turn anything into a fun time, like the people who can turn watching a terrible movie into the highlight of the week, right? <laughs> And God bless those people. You're fantastic. But that doesn't change the fact that (laughs) you're watching a bad movie. Right. Yeah. It doesn't change the fact that the movie is bad. Um, So when like the the best example I can point to this is when people are talking about what is a easy, medium, hard, deadly encounter. That definition of what those constitute does not change, no matter what tier of D&D you're in. A deadly encounter at tier four is still somebody dies, right? Mm-hmm. Definitionally. But at tier four, what happens when somebody dies? <laughs> like, chances are you have, like, someone's like, oh, right, revivify. One third level slot. I have eight more of those. 
Okay. Or in some cases, like, oh, they died and, you know, a little harder than a revivify can handle. Let me get my resurrection bell, mm -hmm. right? Or one of the many, many things I can do to handle that. So odds are, if a character dies at tier four, the adventuring day can continue, right? There's nothing that stops <laughs> you. And if you follow the DMG's guide, it's like, oh, they should only have one deadly encounter. So the tier four characters just went through one deadly encounter. They rolled through it, right? Someone died, right? It did, as intended, work exactly how it was supposed to. And they've got a ton of gas left in the tank. So that's going to be boring for everyone. Um, <laughs> they're, they're just going to get incredibly bored. Um, because that's, that's what the game's telling you to do. Yeah. And understandably, no one... It'll be fun the first couple times because the novelty of casting Meteor Swarm will keep you entertained. Um, at least for a session. <laughs> it's pretty great. But once that wears off, once you get adjusted, once it's no longer like a welcome to this for the first time experience, you're not going to want to come back because the, con the, the meat and potatoes is not going to be interesting to you the, once the novelty wears off. Um, so, you know, you have to then figure out what is supposed to happen. Um, how do I get that experience where the players are meaningfully challenged? They're feeling like their characters are tested, um, right? Like not necessarily killed, but tested, right? What is a test for a high tier character looks like? What examples do you look to to find that? Watsi has given us very, very few. And the ones they have given us are really frustrating more than fun. So in our one tier four uh campaign we have, Dungeon of the Mad Mage, Blaster Black Cloak is challenging, not because of his stat block, which he's not, you can roll through him very easily, but because he keeps coming back to life and harassing you endlessly, and there's nothing you can do about that, which is basically like saying, Tier 4 is hard because it annoys you to death. And it's like, why Why does anyone want to deal with that, right? Like, yes, technically speaking, that does make him challenging because having a wizard portal into your camp and go fireball, fireball before you knock him over, and then he does it again every 48 hours. Yeah, that is, that does make the game more challenging, but not in a way no one is going to enjoy, right? They're all going to mm -hmm. go, this sucks. Um, we're not having fun. Um, so... On top of that, players start picking up tools. They've figured out things that are really good. We always look at banishment as just like the worst, the worst spell. It's yes. just so awful. <laughs> um, banishment and force cage are like the two that just give me nightmares because you have to you have to design around those for high tier games. Because if you don't, someone will show up and be like, "Your content's easy." I cast force cage, and I won. <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's fair." Um, and so as a DM, it's like, what do you do? Where do you go to for advice from when your players are shattering your encounters in two? And not just like shattering them, like not just crushing it, like breaking them, like banishment exiles a thing. And then everyone sits next to where it's going to come back and like readies an action. And then yep. as soon as, it, right, like that's, yep. that's yep. really dumb. Um, <laughs> it gets real old real fast. And then force cage, half the monsters you put in a force cage have no conceivable means of escape if you're pulling from the monster manual or even Toma Foes or the new stuff. They're just stuck in the cube. Um, they can't attack you. They can't get out. And it costs you an action to do it and no concentration. So you put the, the big monster in a box and 
yeah, you poke it through the bars or whatever, and then you win. Um, and you can just repeat that because it's a seventh level spell. You get multiple slots of that. And yeah. So in short, I don't know where DMs are supposed to go for that kind of advice yeah. <laughs> other than we give it to them. But I absolutely do not blame anyone who's like, I tried tier four and it blew chunks. And it's like, I, that tracks because it's like getting, you know, it's like getting, getting your car on like a, a complex track and then saying, oh, just keep driving the way you normally drive. And you're just like, oh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Right. This is going to be a disaster. Doesn't work like that. Yeah, like there's there's lots of little things to like the magical item rarity system not having a strong relationship to how powerful it actually is. Some legendary weapons are awesome, others are terrible, some like very rares too, so you have no idea mm -hmm. half the time what's going to happen when you give your players a magical item. Are they going to become ridiculous or is it going to do nothing? How do you account for that? Um and of course, DMs at that point are also told, oh, your players are so powerful, they could kill gods and blah, blah. I'm like, Whoa. no, no, they cannot. <laughs> um, it's like a really, it, it's bizarre to me that fifth edition says 20th level characters are killing gods. I have no idea where that comes from. I have seen high level characters get completely bodied by like DR8s because they were too arrogant and stepped into like a room and thought we'll be fine. And then like, it just bam, 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 down. I'm like, that's not God killing power. No way. That's a, that's a holdover from third edition where your wizard was invulnerable to like everything when they, walked, <laughs> when they woke up in the morning, you know, they cast like breakfast of the gods and they became invincible. Um, right. That, that doesn't happen anymore. They're strong. Absolutely. But especially by themselves, like as a team, they're great. But as soon as they like that teamwork falls apart, they become very vulnerable. Like what does the paladin do against a flying enemy? He can't even smite it. God killing power. Paladin's like on the ground, like, Ugh. right. It's That's like, what javelins are for. Everybody knows uh, that. Yeah. So it's like, no, they're not even close to that. That's like a mythology that we want to build up, but the mechanics do not support it not even close yeah so, so yeah i don't know uh any any <laughs> i want to give you guys a chance to to talk about that but yeah i could just keep going it's 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 a whole thing uh, um i would i would say that is all 100 percent true as someone who has run uh some like low mid-teens games mm -hmm. um i've never i've never had a campaign make it into tier four though by golly uh the ones i'm doing now i'm sure as heck gonna try i've got and i've got the arcs planned for it but mm -hmm. what would you do to a, a dm that says yes holy crap everything you just said is true ryan what do i do how do i how do i plan for this how do i how do i make encounters that that don't suck uh and how do I how do I balance these things against this team? Like my players are super good and they work together and they talk and stuff and all my stuff dies in two rounds. And it's what do I do? Yeah. So we have three general design principles when we're making stuff for high tier that we're trying to observe. The first is that the DM is going to make a lot of mistakes because the content is inherently more complex. Um, it's hard to account for what the players can do, even if you're running something simple, because their characters are doing 
crazy stuff, right? It's really difficult to account for all that. So you can't you're, do party balance anymore, like you could yeah. in the lower tiers. Yeah, your lich is going to forget to not stand within 30 feet of the paladin, right? And that difference of five feet will make a light year of fat lich. And of course, the Intelligence 28 lich should know better than to stand within 30 feet of the paladin. But you're human, so you goofed. And now the paladin scored a critical hit, and your lich went up in flames in turn two. And that that sucks, but... That happens. So the first thing we say we say is factor in the fact that you're going to make mistakes, right? So don't assume perfection of yourself when you're preparing encounters, because the rules generally assume you're going to do pretty well. Don't like, don't do it. Assume you're going to make all kinds of mistakes. We do this for all our stuff, and it helps so much to just you be the DM. It's like this monster is extra chunky. It's not extra chunky because that's fair. It's extra chunky because as a DM, you're probably gonna gonna make an oopsie and you need that chunkiness to sort of accommodate for the fact that you're gonna make an oopsie. Um, oh yeah. And then I, when we say when people- I oh, totally oh, agree oh, with please. that. I My biggest oopsie is, oh, that's right. It has legendary actions. Oops. Yeah, you're gonna miss stuff and that's totally, or you're gonna forget to tell your player like, hey, you're concentrating in that haste spell. Which, if they drop haste, the character that was hasted loses an entire turn. So if you forget to make that interaction happen or the player forgets, it's like a t- game changer, right? Mm-hmm. So you got to be able to account for that. And then for the people who are like, I'm a god at running D&D and I never make mistakes. Fine. Fair enough. Pull your punches. Players will never complain when the Lich decides that he's going to spend a legendary action to talk shit. And <laughs> like make fun of the paladin, right? Or like roll intimidate or something. (laughs) No one will complain about that. They're going to think it's great. Um, What they will complain about, and I say is like changing the numbers on things because players do discover when things hit and when things miss. And if they notice that you're changing that, that can be really frustrating, especially at high tier games when the stakes are high. They don't want to play against like you know, a quantum lich that exists in a state of superposition where it's whatever you need it to be because they want to feel like their understanding of the creature matters, especially at higher tiers, right? This is maybe something you've been building to for 10 sessions and the players find out that what they know about it isn't really important um, to how you fight it. Now, the other thing we say is um, newness is the key. Um, Making content and interactions that are new. Because if your fact response to high tier is damage, 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 scary damage, damage is still a thing that they've been seeing for 15 levels. It's always been damage. It's forever been damage. It's been 15 levels of damage. Yes, it's is the largest damages of the damage, but it it's still damage. It's like going on a hike and staying in one biome the entire time, right? And it's never anything but mountains. It's like... Let's mix it up, right? So we say, stop worrying about damage and do things to them that are harmful, attack those characters, but do it in ways that do not push damage. And so this is where our somewhat controversial opinion comes in of, we love exhaustion. We think exhaustion is like one of the best mechanics ever, but we don't use it as like a traveling thing. We use it as like a combat thing where like monsters give out levels of exhaustion and we love it because players hate it. They're like, 
I have 400 hit points and I'm going to die because I'm getting another level of exhaustion soon. And it's like, yeah, yeah, you are. <laughs> Your 400 hit points don't mean jack to this monster. Mr. Barbarian, and it's meant something for 99% of your encounters up till this point, but not today, right? And that that player will feel like in the moment, like, oh, right? They're like, oh my gosh, this thing that I love about my character, it's not working. And it's like, yeah, but it's worked 99% of the time. And now you are up against, you know, the worst of the worst, right? The most difficult challenges, and they're gonna get past those ironclad things that you've always relied on. Not every time, right? You don't want to completely undermine them all the time, but it will happen and it keeps players on their toes. They're always going to be wondering what you're going to hit them with next, which isn't to say make it unfair, right? They need a recourse, but if it's just damage, if you're just slapping them harder and harder and harder, you're still just slapping them. They're getting good at blocking slaps. You need to go for something a little sneakier, a little underhanded. Um, same with um, rewards too. Like, don't give them more damage as a reward, right? Or higher <laughs> AC or more hit points. Give them interesting tools that, that that give them new mechanics. So like a great example is we have a, a, a thing we use, we call it a teleport speed, where you get a speed that's a teleport and you can expend movement to move from one point to the next. It's not an action to teleport, it's your speed. And you can like blink around the map if you want to as movement. And when we, we use this on monsters, players loved it they were like look at it go right it was just teleporting everywhere because they're used to seeing that as an action oh it's an action to teleport a bonus action to teleport and then when they got the power to do that from the monster because it dropped you know like monster blood and then they chugged it and then Whoa, i can do the thing <laughs> they're like oh my gosh this is amazing because they saw this new mechanic they saw how cool it was and then they're like we have to do that that looks so much fun so that's the other thing we say is like really dig deep for those new interactions, mechanics, and focus on being new and fresh in like the kinds of interactions you're looking for. And then the last one is like be epic, like really think about what it means to tell an epic story. I know a, a popular opinion is that um, you can just ramp the numbers up and down and tell any kind of D&D story. And I wholeheartedly reject that hypothesis because I just don't I don't believe that oral in Rhyme of the Frost Maiden hitting like a wet noodle and being like what is she a CR nine or something she's very very weak um like she doesn't have the mechanics to feel like the goddess of winter who can <laughs> freeze you solid right like that's not damage that's a mechanic where she just like chills you to the bone and only high tier characters have the capacity to escape from that right? Only a high tier monster can kill a player big combat and you can expect them to get back up in that combat mm -hmm. and keep fighting, right? You can't expect that in, in low tier games, right? You can't give a player a curse for a year in a low tier game that, you know, whenever they roll a, a 16 or higher on a D20, they instead roll like a, a 15, right? It's like no more 20s for you, only 15s and lower. It's like, whoa, like that's rough, right? If you did that to a lower level character, your players would like revolt because that's such a massive penalty for them. But mm -hmm. for high tier characters, they can make it work, right? They can they can handle it. And so we we say, you know, really, really go for those like epic storytelling moments and mechanics where it's like, you may not even know what the solution is. It's like the monster's fortress is on the moon. Good luck. 
I have no idea how you're going to get there. Figure it out. Right. <laughs> and, and they will, that's the best part is at first they'll go, what's, what do we do? And then they'll start opening their humongous toolboxes and start sticking, gluing things together. And the next thing you know, they have a rocket ship powered by fire giant blood shooting to the moon. And it's great. Right. And it's, it's, you know, let, let that happen. Um, right. Don't, don't worry about making sure everything's fair. Put, put your boss monsters fortress in a ridiculous location. Um, you know, hit players with an obstacle that you have no intended pathway for them to solve. Odds are they'll, they'll solve it. They'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. um, go big. And, and yeah, that's, that's, so those are the three things, right? So, um, you know, newness, go big and let yourself make mistakes. Account for that. Don't worry about being perfect. Build around the fact that you're going to make those oopsies and you'll have a great time. So uh, kind of going back to, you know, rewards, new mechanics and everything. When you do start introducing new mechanics as rewards for your players, how do you kind of counter the fact that you're compounding your difficulty for prepping even more so by giving them, you know, more powers as you get higher in level? So for us as designers, the question is a lot easier because we just play chest the bejesus out of everything and make it work. But for DMs, what I usually say is make it temporary, right? So when I use my example, I said a potion. Okay. Potions don't last forever, right? Like you get the one and done. And I like that. So the best way to test a mechanic is don't give players a new spell to learn. Give them a item with a one use of that new spell that you invented with that new mechanic, right? Take a potion, a scroll, whatever, and give it to them as a one-time use and see what they do with it. If they immediately find an unintended exploit, which that happens all the time, the good news is, is they get one, they get to use it once and then it's over, right? Because I'm, I, I hate having to take stuff away because I messed up. I understand why a lot of people are avoidant to that, which is why, like, you know, don't use random loot tables, like, you know, <laughs> give them a test, um, you know, loan them, loan them the staff of power. Don't give it to them. Right. Or the staff of the Magi or whichever, mm -hmm. you know, whichever one, they're both ridiculous. Um, you know, have, 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 after they grab the Holy Avenger, if you regret that, have a Archon come down and be like, Hey, that's mine. Um, could I have that back, please? Um, I would super appreciate it. And in reward, in reward, I'll do this nice thing for you that you want. I know it's not a fair trade, but, you know, we can work something out. Um, and and that way, you know, try try and make those things temporary so that if you do have buyer's remorse, as it were, it doesn't shatter your game into a thousand pieces. Too, too often, people are just like, here, have the thing. And the players are like... <laughs> you made a mistake and <laughs> yeah right and it's like yeah yeah and then everyone has the regrets but that's also why we you know make the books that we make is because we don't want that to happen because we have the luxury of testing things and mm -hmm. you know the experience to prevent that but you know even we we make oopsies sometimes too so we still advocate that general practice of don't go whole hog on introducing a new thing for players give them to them once and then if they if it works you can always bring it back and do it again, right? Yeah, uh, I I think uh, I think that uh, goes into another point too. That one of the things I usually recommend is get your players used to receiving consumables. Because I know a lot of us, I I do this, have the video game mentality of 
I've got to hoard it until I <laughs> need it. And yeah. if you only give those consumables sparingly every once in a while, your players will most likely never end up using it because they're always mm. going to be saving it for that one time that they've got to use it, which may never come or may come, you know, 20, 30 plus sessions afterwards. You have no idea. Yeah. You, everyone's forgotten it existed <laughs> existed <laughs> in the first place. And someone yeah. is just like, oh, this is in my inventory and we're in a really, really, really bad spot. I better better use it. But if you get them used to receiving consumables, even if they're not like particularly strong, like a potion of heroism or, you know, something like that, but get them used to receiving those through the mm -hmm. game, then they'll probably be more reticent to actually use the stuff that you give them, knowing that more is coming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing, it's a little less interesting to talk about, but it is something that does really help because we've run a lot of games at conventions, including a lot of high level games. So we, we look at like the play space with like lots of different types of players and sort of see how are they engaging with this? Like where, where are we seeing issues on like rules interpretations, but also like at the table when something takes like five turns or five minutes to resolve for like what, like what's happening here? Is this just like the player doesn't get it? Or is there like a, a design issue here? So a great one we say is like, if you want to play a high level game, look at your class and look at the dice you need. So if you're a paladin, right? And you're wielding a long sword, get a gray D8 and that's your long sword's damage dice. Then grab eight yellow D8s. Those are your smite dice. So when you roll and you smite, you throw all those at once. So then you know the gray one's your weapon damage dice, your yellows are your smite damage dice when your DM's like, how much of this is radiant damage? Right? You don't have to go, uh, uh, right. You know, right? It's like boom, 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 boom. Very quick. If you're playing a, a fighter and you action surge and eight attacks per round, like, holy moly, roll your attack and damage dice at the same time, please. Like, just do the world a favor and do it. Like, it's it's really nice. Um, right? Like, lots of things like that where it, it's it's because people are like, oh, high-level stuff takes forever. It's like, oh, it can. Um, but if you optimize how you play and, like, really get that pep going, it helps. Uh, tokens for consumables, too. Like, little, like, placards. Like, you have this potion here. I'm going to put it right next to your your character sheet. Don't don't forget, because I know your character sheet's pretty big now, and you've got a long loot list. Um, right? Uh, turn using your dice as a turn tracker on the duration of your effects. Lots of little things like that. They go a long way. So ask a little more of your players there too. Like, mm -hmm. don't don't if you have to remind your players that they're concentrating on their spells and effects. Mm -hmm. Players, that's on you. You, <laughs> you, you would, you would be mad if your DM was like, "Well, you didn't remind me to roll concentration for my monsters." Uh, you would not like that. So, you, you, you need to, you need to handle that. Your durations and whether your characters are concentrating because DM's busy. They got, they got a lot of work on their juggling a lot of plates. Yeah, I think, I think that's a super good point. Honestly, like by you know tenth plus level. You should, especially if you started from the beginning, you should know your character really well. And mm -hmm. yeah, as a player, and I've been on both sides of the screen many a time, know your stuff and track your stuff because the DM is tracking yeah. most likely your character and seven other characters worth of stuff <laughs> behind behind the scenes. Yeah, and I, I don't want to say like, 
players are dropping the ball so much is I understand that a lot of the content you've experienced, especially in official stuff, is very like leads you by the nose kind of thing. Most of the combats are solved via damage or, you know, most of the problems you encounter can be solved by a combination of ability checks and hitting it very hard. Um, it Many times, I'm sure, many tables have experienced the phenomenon where the players don't know what to do with their story next. They're like, where do we do next? Right, and they're looking at their DM like, give us something. And I'm like, you know commune. Come on, like, ask commune, cleric. <laughs> Talk to God. He knows the <laughs> Talk answer. To God. Right? Like you've got you've got you've got all kinds of druids. You've got commune with nature, rangers, you can speak with animals, like get those non-damage tools out of your kit and use them. I know that often those don't come up, but high level is the perfect place to do more of that because that way it doesn't feel like it's this bloody slog through an endless parade of of powerful enemies. Yeah. Um, right. Like use, use those kits and DMs appreciate it. Cause then they don't have to, don't always have to worry about how you're going to solve it because they know that you, kn you know, your kit, right. They know that, Hey, they, they know how to play their character. They're going to figure this out. Um, Plus, I don't have to worry so much about it. Even more so they get to figure out the personality of the squirrel that you're asking questions to. I mean, it's one of the best yeah, parts. Right? <laughs> and, and the DM gets to play God. How often do you get to be the voice of a deity in your campaign player? Give your DM that chance, especially at high tier. It's like, ah, oh, yes, my my mightiest cleric. Like, I am happy to answer any cool. Like, it's this wonderful scene. Do it, right? Like, yeah. it's, it's great. Yes, but I'll only give you yes or patron. no questions. Yeah, right. It's only yes or no, but all the best yeses I can possibly give, right? Yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's great. It's great. Um, you know, planner bind a fiend and be like, how is, is the weather in hell today solid? Can we go? Right? Are we gonna, <laughs> or do we need to wear sunscreen? Right? You can do that. It's really doable. You don't even yeah. need the DM's permission. Like, you just have the stuff and you can do it and it's great. Yeah. Um, so, no. yeah, be be powerful players. Use That's those right. toolkits. I, I, that, that reminded me that I had a, I had a game uh, this, this last weekend and uh one of one of the uh rare times we get to do in person and in person is so much fun like mm -hmm. online tools have progressed so far which thank god <laughs> the, the <laughs> online tools yeah. have progressed this far but the, there's just really nothing quite like in-person sessions and i was i yeah. was really proud she had got out the sheet and she had like all the, the stuff written down with like dice next to each, like the hunter's mark and you know, sneak yeah, attack guys. Yeah. And I was just like, yes, I love this. I love, I love seeing that. Right. Um, it, it makes you so happy as a high tier DM to see your players like ready to rock. You're just yeah, like, yeah. nice. I can, I can throw, I can throw anything at you and you're going to be like, we got it. Yeah. And, ready and to that's going to be awesome. Right. It's great. Um, I love it. I love that. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. And, you know, fifth edition, high tier, still tough, right? Oh. It's never been better. It's never been easier in any edition of D&D. So if you're like on the fence, know that this is literally prime real estate for you to give it a try and like really give it a try. A lot of people like I tried it once and I didn't like it. I'm like, what would what would you have said if you say to someone who said I tried D&D once and I didn't like it? Like <laughs> You would say, give it another try, right? You'd say, yeah. well, sometimes you have a bad game. It happens, right? Come on, yeah. like give it, give it, a, give it a few more times. High tier, same thing, right? Like afford it the same level of respect 
that you gave your low-level games when it came to things going right and things going wrong. If you had a high tolerance for things going wrong at low level, have that same tolerance at high level because it's it's wonderful once you figure yeah. out how to do it and it takes practice. Yeah, for sure. And I want to go back to one of the things you you kind of touched on because we've been talking a lot on the high level, the encounter side of things, but there's a lot more to high level on the non-encounter side of things mm-hmm. because and and we've talked to we've talked to B Dave on here before and one of the things I know he likes to talk about that I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on too just the narrative putting interesting decisions and inflection points in front of your players that can't necessarily be solved with combat but are things that only high level players would potentially have the tools to deal with mm, yeah so There's a bit of an issue here in that quite often when you're thinking of a lot of these challenges, there's usually a really powerful spell that can make that work. Now, I don't subscribe to the whole wish because wish is a thing that only happens in those last three levels and most classes don't get it. So it's not as big a factor as I think everyone pretends that it is. But I do I do sympathize with the fact that a lot of times when there's a the 17th level fighter in the room, the 17th level bard's like, I will cast glibness and devastate everyone with my charisma in this room and get whatever we want, right? And it's like, the fighter's like, oh man, like, what am I going to do, right? Um, so that that's tough. Because, um, you know, you got all these spells that are just like, you solve this problem. You solve problem X. That's what the spell mm-hmm. is. Um, but I do think there is an underappreciation for what the story of your character counts for at high levels. So there was a Twitter thread I was discussing recently where I talked about how I think marshals are really great at high levels. Um, they're definitely the scariest characters on the battlefield. And uh, you, you can believe I'm wrong about that, but I've got more than, I've got several hundred games to prove you otherwise. They are terrifying. Uh, fighters, paladins are unstoppable. Um, and Someone said, you know, I use the example of I've only ever seen Marshall's Wombo Combo a Lich from Fold to Dead in one turn. And someone said, yeah, that's great. I'm glad I can do that. But what do I do when, you know, I need to talk to the king or whatever? And, you know, my I didn't say this, but my response in my head was, you tell them that you killed a Lich in one turn and that you should get whatever you want. <laughs> right? Like... Yes, like that's one of those things where the DM says, yeah, you don't even need to roll intimidate on that. You say, I, I destroyed Zachnar, the Arc Lich, in like a single, in four strikes. And you dare demand I pay tribute? Are you kidding? Like, you're only here because of me. Give me what I want. And the DM's like, that's a great point. Uh, The king's (laughs) like, you know what? Sold. Excellent. Right? So instead of looking at your sheet and your mechanics, if you're really looking for some of those solutions to those challenges, look at like what the story of your character represents, like where they've gone from like A to B and lean into that a little bit. Um, And DMs do this too, like really facilitate that. Like um, when I have high level characters walk into a room, I always make a point of like someone in there recognizes them and points out something that they did just to like prompt the players to remind them that like you're a big deal you're like an avenger that walked into a bar right now some avengers are more important than others but still right like (laughs) 
everyone cares, right? People notice, and you can use that to solve problems, right? Um, not everything need be like, how do I mechanically engage with this? Now, there's a whole different spectrum, which is how do you create meaningful mechanics for fighters when you have wizard with, you know, 80, 80 spells to solve every problem. And that's still one we're figuring out in a lot of ways is, is how to do that. But the shortest recommendation I would give is it's okay that certain classes can do things that others can't. I actually think that's a really good thing. Mm -hmm. um, and if you have a player that's not able to engage with the challenges, have the challenges engage with the player, right? Have something specifically go for that character because they're important enough that chances are there are some people all over the world, multiverse planes, whatever your setting is, that have strong opinions about your character and can show up and say, I heard that your barbarian is the mightiest guy in the land. I have here this block of metal which cannot be damaged. Do you think he can damage it? I challenge thee, right? And the barbarian's like, yes, right? Like, <laughs> give me give me my axe, right? Like, I'm here for it, right? And that's like a, a challenge for a high-level character. Damn, scratch this unscratchable metal, right? With the power, with the might of your blows. The wizard cannot do that. The wizard's like, well, yeah, I mean, he's here for the Barbarian, and the Barbarian's got 34 or 24 strength. So you got this one, buddy. It's all you. And that player will feel great. Um, so, you know, bring it bring it to them specifically. Don't let the, don't just have a, you know, room of challenges and then watch the wizard be like, you know, we're done. Like, bring, bring it to them and see what happens. Yeah, that's a, that's that's honestly great advice. And that's uh, that's something that's good just to kind of do throughout, too. We've we've talked about this some before. If you have a monk, make sure people are shooting stuff at it. Yeah. So that they can use their cool stuff. Yeah. yeah. Make sure make sure you you are using situations where players can use their cool stuff. And that doesn't just go for combat. That goes for non-combat, too, because mm -hmm. to your point, there, there might be a spell that solves everything. That's great. They need to maybe they need to figure that out. So maybe mm -hmm. you just throw a situation uh, as you were talking about earlier. You don't know the answer to it. It's not combat. Mm -hmm. It's it's oh, crap. There is a tsunami coming and it's going to hit two towns simultaneously. We cannot be in two places at once. Probably. How are we going mm -hmm. to save these people? We have 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and you know, if you're really feeling like your characters need a little bit of those those non-spellcasty characters need a little bit of oomph, tweak, give, give them some tweaks. Give them some, you know, a lot of, in the recent D&D &D thing, we saw like these epic boons or whatever, and they're all sort of like quality of life stuff and things people have seen before. I'm like, no, no, no. Give your monks the ability to not just deflect missiles, but deflect spell attacks. They can catch firebolts and throw them back at people. That'll feel so amazing because not even the wizard can do that. It's like, ah, you can only counterspell. Watch this. Like, <laughs> caught it. <laughs> like, throwing spell attacks back at the monsters. Like, that's so awesome. And it's you just have to change, like, one thing. You just have to change it from ranged attack or, like, ranged weapon attack to, like, any ranged attack. And you're good. And it's just, yeah. like, easy, easy, quick, simple change. That is um, yeah. so, very cool. And... 
yeah, immediately in my head, I'm like, okay, this is how I can justify it. This is how it works. And yeah, just the, sometimes just the, the simplest ideas or something like that to make something cooler just opens up a world of possibilities of like how that can trickle to other players and how they can contribute to different things too. So I, mm-hmm. I, I figured that for like higher level gameplay, when you have those sort of like opportunities, it, it like once you get the ball rolling, it it's kind of easier than if you're just kind of sitting there staring at, okay, level 15. Now what? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, it, there's, there's a lot of just unexplored potential there that I think people often just read it on the page and they think, I'm not interested in this. And it's like, come on, like, yeah, I give it a try. You gotta, gotta, gotta be a little creative with it. Just really look at what you got. Look at your content. I think one of my favorite moments was doing some game players were in the astral plane and they found the body of a dead star whale, which is supposed to leave them to my games, you know, spell jamming equivalent of Davy Jones who had stolen an awesome ship and they were looking for him. And the druid resurrected the dead star whale and then awakened it to give it intelligence so that it could (laughs) tell them where Davy Jones went. And I was just like, you know what? The whale's also going to give you a ride. So they rode this resurrected, (laughs) awakened star whale to victory. Right. And I was just like, this can't happen in a low tier game. It can't, it it cannot happen. I would have never thought of this. I would have never thought of this. I wouldn't have known to give them the scrolls of whatever. Right. And the player would never have considered it because it was not in their character's ability to do. They just didn't have the spells, right? This is like a awakens like a six level slot, and then resurrect true res is like a nine. So like the boom, boom, right? And then amazing campaign moment, just incredible. Could never have happened to a low tier game. Yeah, that's that's, that's awesome. super cool. <laughs> super cool. I think, and it, it, it a lot of times, I guess, uh, and just from all the stuff we talked about, it it comes down to from a non-combat perspective at least give your players situations where they can just be creative yeah yeah absolutely it don't don't worry so much about having an intended pathway or an intended solution make a castle with no doors i I guarantee you they'll they'll figure out how to get in like they'll figure it out you have no idea how but trust me they will and it's great (laughs) um yeah, that's that's really cool. And uh, let's let's piggyback off that a little bit to um, to planning out campaigns that are going to higher level. Because I wanted to mm-hmm. talk about okay, there, there's kind of two two major things. One is I'm starting a campaign, and I'm starting at level one or level three or something like that, and I intend for this to go to level twenty. How do I how do I plan it out? And then secondly, I also want to hit on what if I want to start a high level campaign? What if I want to start at level 10? What if I want to start at level 15? How the heck do I do that? Because I know a lot of, and it's, it would be, and I know like, especially for newer players, it'd be much harder because part of the whole thing about getting to higher level is, oh yeah, I grew up with this character. I know exactly Mm -hmm. what they can do. I know all my strengths and weaknesses. I want to play at high level, holy crap, it takes a long time to get there <laughs> sometimes. So maybe I want to start something that's higher level. How do I do that in a way that's interesting and satisfying and such? Basically, what I would say is when you're planning out your campaign, the game already chops itself up into tiers. So plan out this element of your tier. 
And the biggest mistake I think people make when they're looking at this is they don't ask the players to revisit their character's story progression. So when I run a game that I expect to go this far, every time we hit a new tier, I tell my players, look at your background and your personality traits, your ideals, bonds, and flaws, and reevaluate them. What has happened to your character that may cause these to be changed, right? Because your background's great when you're getting started, but the most important years of your character's life are ahead of them, right? As adventurers. True. For the most part, right? So Mm -hmm. those should be the things that shape them the most. So take your personality and change it, right? Give your players a chance to do that and find, try and build a moment to really catalyze that at the end of each tier, which is like at the end of tier five, what's going to be the thing in my game that's going to catalyze my character's change, my players, what's going to give them that, what's going to give them, right, this is what this, you know, we, we died and came back to life. My character has an issue with that, right? Like, or, you know, we went to another world um, and met, you know, creatures never seen before. How do we handle that? Um, those are great ways to sort of start plotting that out. If you have a villain, as many games do, that you want to, you know, set up as your 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 main antagonist, great, do that. But if you're going to do it, don't have them suddenly exist at the very end and then only ever talked about up until that point because that's never landed well for me. And many of the modules I've run where the antagonist is only really in existence at the end when you go to their lair and they're chilling and you throw down. Um, get that villain out in front of them early and put that villain in a position of power over them where they are unable to stop them or, right, the villain spares them or, you know, it's just like, do that. Just do it. It's cliche, I know, but just do it because I guarantee you they will not forget and it will bother them from the start to the end. And when they get to that villain at the end of the game, they'll be like, remember when you killed my horse? Yeah. We're going to, this is for my horse, right? That'll come up. We're going to have some birds. It'll, it, and don't think like, oh, I need to be torturous to my players or ruin their lives. Like, do something small. One of my, when I ran a Paizo module, Hell's Rebels, which Paizo, credit to them, they always end their games like, in their high level stuff for their modules. Great job, Paizo. Love you guys for that. Um, the villain at the start of that <laughs> starts the game off by starting a riot that the players are in. So they have to get out of the riot. And then later on, for their work to try and undermine him, because they kill some of his agents that are masquerading as thieves to cause the city to be in chaos. So they kill the thieves. And then as a joke, the villain sends them a reward, being like, thank you for ridding our city of thieves when they were his <laughs> goons, right? And the, him giving them that gift made pissed my players off for the rest of the game. They hate, from that moment on, he's like, you do not make fun of us by giving us shiny stuff. Like, that is not okay. <laughs> and that made him so mad. And it was this little thing, because the villain, of course, is like a 17th level, you know, I don't even know what class every Paizo villain is, is some dude with a gajillion class levels. Um, right. So he's, the players cannot confront him at that point, but that directed action, that like engagement, like the players wanted to get to the end of the story just to, just to get even like they, they wanted to, that was a huge motivator. So if you do it right, get it, your villain in front, make that happen. That's, it's awesome. That's why we did our Tome of Titans book. It was just like, 
helping what DMs get those villains out in front mm-hmm. instead of just chilling in their fortresses until the players show up. And then there's no personal relationship. There's no, there's no, it's just like the world's in peril. So you naturally you dislike each other. It's like, oh, that's, that's great. Yeah, yeah. We do, but it's not cursed. Yeah. And I, I, I think that uh, that's, it's, it's such a great, that's such a great tip for villains. And like you said, it doesn't even have to be directly confrontational. That dude started a riot. Uh, mm-hmm. You could, they could arrive at a town that they had been in before or the town they started in. It's now destroyed. And the survivors talk about your big bad dude. They, he's the one that destroyed it. And oh, he hurt or killed an NPC that they got to know in that place. Or something mm-hmm. like that. There's a there's a lot of things you can do to make high level villains interactable, even if it's just a date adjacently throughout mm-hmm. the entire the entire game. Yeah. So it's it's something I'd say for DMs, like, you know, get those tier tier movements lined up and get your villain, have get them out in front. And usually that's gonna really help your game carry really far maybe not all the way to tier four in all instances but at least at least to tier three right mm-hmm. like that can be a lot of fun yeah yeah for sure so how about if you wanted to start something high like mm. how and you wanted it to be successful because a lot of what makes the stuff successful is like you said that built up story from level one or two or three or wherever mm. low level you started it how do you make that interesting or those stakes or those character type moments that haven't existed for real in the mm. play sessions. If let's say I want to experience a campaign, I don't want to take all the time to get to high level. We're going to start at 12 or we're going to start at 13 or 15. Yeah. So that's a really tricky question because you have an unfortunate instance. The, the biggest challenge for the DM is, not knowing what these characters can do. Um, you aren't, and when I say that, I mean like, you, you know, you've read on paper, but you don't know, no, because you haven't felt it, right? They haven't slammed into your encounters and the players haven't shown you exactly what their their builds do. And there's no way for you to anticipate that unless you've seen that exact thing before. So you're gonna have a hard time in that. They're gonna hit you with that. And the player's gonna know their character top to front and you're not. Have a, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, I did not even know they could do that. And so you're going to have that that shock. Um, for players, I think one of the best things to do as a DM and a player to sort of build this together is ask the players, is there a character that never got to high level in the past that you would like to elevate to this point? Now, I'm not saying keep, keep their stats and their exact progression or even same subclass or whatever, but someone you played before that you liked. Maybe you still have their sheet and you ever wanted to pick their story back up, right? And like time jump ahead or whatever. Chances are they may be a few or more levels off, but that character has some veterancy to it, right? They've been through some things. So it's the idea that they could reach this point is far more plausible and you have a stronger foundation to build off of because obviously the background of a sailor who's level 15... (laughs) It's not going to tell you. It's like, where did you sail, my guy? Holy cow. Everywhere. Right? Like, you're everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. I sailed on hell's oceans. Like, yeah, you did. Holy cow. Um, right? So that's that That can be tough. Um, 
again, the other thing I would say is like, if you are totally starting from scratch, ask that player, what happened to your character at the end of tier one? What happened to your character at the end of tier two? And just ask them to give you like a four bullet point, three, four bullet point thing where it's like, here's where they started. Here's tier one. Here's tier two. Here's tier three. And like work from there. Because usually that's enough to get something functional. Because I'm sensitive to session zeros turning into like three, four hour things. I'd like to keep mine really tight and, you know, like, you know, let's get into the game. Um, so I know for some people, yeah, you want to do the whole backstory kit and caboodle, in which case, great, do that. But if you don't and you don't want to have to explore that. Um, and then as the DM, once they've given you that, you should take what they've given you and say, as a result of these things, here's what happened in the world. That here's something you did. And you don't even really have to show it. You just have to tell them this was your contribution and this is why you matter more than just some right yeah. who gained like, levels like which flat, is often, flashback them basically yes it's like you know because of what you did here's like one big thing and usually in my opinion that's enough to get going and what's cool about it, if they give you a character already this just sort of happens organically if it's like a character they've played before um you can just be like well what'd you do with that character and then it's like oh okay yeah perfect that's that's great that's really good advice it's something I want to do at some point. It's mm-hmm. Something I want to do at some point. I will play um, in that game. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. No, I think I think that's that's super super awesome. There's a lot of lot of really good advice, um, and I know uh, I kind of had one other topic um, that I wanted to discuss with you before we got into. Uh, some of our some of our wrap up things and we touched uh some on encounters uh but i wanted mm-hmm. to dig just a little bit deeper into that uh, the high level encounters that aren't just a sack of hit points because mm-hmm. uh, we you talked a little bit about mechanic like new mechanics because um, yeah. i'm i'm thinking like what are things you can do to encourage movement in the battlefield Dynamic mm. events to shake things up, uh, using layer actions to the mm. to the fullest. Um, minions, maybe not just having these, you know, solo things that you greatly underestimated the action economy screwing you over <laughs> absolutely horribly. Um, so I just wanted to kind of get uh, like some tips and tricks to as a DM as I design these tier three and tier four things. How do I keep these dynamic? fresh and and interesting so the best piece of advice i can give is that more is not always better when it comes to not just damage and numbers but action economy um i know there's a lot of interest in creating more actions but i think this is mostly a result of people playing low tier games where characters are doing one thing monsters do one thing so naturally the game feels a little droll so yeah having some more bonus actions and reactions on monsters is great there it's not at high tiers um low like monsters are already doing a lot yes the multi-attack action is one action but monsters are making like five attacks on that and if you have a monster making five attacks on its multi-attack and then like two attacks with every legendary action and there's minions running all over the battlefield you're never going to get anything done it's going to be chaos um the players are going to be bored out of their minds and you're going to be struggling mightily 
So what you need to look at is the stuff that is much more efficient, but achieves the same result. So the best example I always give of official Watsi content is the Balor, which is, in my opinion, one of the best design monsters in all of 5th edition. And the Balor is awesome because the Balor is a non-legendary monster with very limited action economy that will still kick your ass at high tiers. you got to respect that thing. Now with the Tasha's stuff, power creeping, a little less so. But like if you play core vanilla... Balors are scary. Like they will slambo you. And they have a lot of great features to do it. Um, they're pulling players towards them with like the whip and then like, right. They're flying. They can teleport so they can be out of force cage. They have an aura. So if the monk runs up and like quad punches them, he takes fire damage every time he does it. So the Balor is taking like three actions and it's just doing so much with those three actions. There's so much value baked into everything that it does. Um, and this is really reflected in what I think works super well for high tier monsters and like high tier combat encounters, which is really take the time when you're going for those climactic big ones to think about not just mechanically how it's going to unfold, but how the meta of the encounter is going to shape out. Because if, and I, I, I'm not going to say who designed it, but there was a monster in another book that I read, which is a big climactic star dragon thing. And when it died, it exploded. When it exploded, every character in a colossal radius had to make three different saving throws. And each saving throw had a what happens on a success and what happens on a failure interaction. And all I could think about when I said that is that's going to take five minutes to figure out what just happened, Right. And what you want to have happen when you defeat your monster and it explodes, everyone rolls and crosses their fingers that they don't get disintegrated, right? Mm -hmm. It's just like, everyone roll, go, go, go. <laughs> like, you know, nail biter. Instead, it's like, roll wisdom. Okay, here's what happens. Blah, blah, blah. You succeeded. Roll intelligence. Oh, you failed. Here's what happens with that. Blah, blah, blah. Right. Now roll career. Like, mm. yes, like mechanically, that can all unfold in an interesting way, but meta-wise, it's going to unfold really badly. It's going to feel awful to play through that because you're going to be the wizard waiting. Like, oh, well, when's it going to get to me? Okay, I'll, can I go get a drink? Right? Like, uh, while yeah. we're figuring this. Like, not at the end of your big climax, right? No, you want everyone hanging in there. So be really sensitive as to how the meta unfolds and try and design mechanics that lean into the meta of the experience you're trying to create. Because if your epic experience is we have to resolve 20 mechanics every round, right? Because of I'm making 40 attacks with all of my monsters and there's 20 guys moving around on the battlefield. Yeah, that is epic in scope, but it's not in how it feels. And ultimately, the feeling is going to count for a lot more. If it feels epic and you're using four monsters, that's way better. <laughs> it's, it's easier for you and your players will like it more. Um, and I probably, you know, a lot of people might push back on that, but I will just say, like, look, for those people who can make all of that work, you are incredible and you're beyond me in every way. And I'm so <laughs> proud of you. Right. But that is not the average table. Yeah. I, I just don't believe it. I'm sorry. I don't think I can run several hundred high tier games and not achieve a high degree of skill. And you can still be better than me, but I don't, I don't believe I'm below average. I just, I don't <laughs> buy it. <laughs> right. So really be sensitive to that for those encounters. It's just like how the meta of it plays out. Um, gotcha. We can we can talk about new mechanics too, but it's that's a whole different beast. It's like, how do you even know, right? How, what's going to happen when players deal with that?
Yeah, no, I, 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 I really like that a lot because it's the keeping the epic moments epic. You mm-hmm. don't what I, like even if it sounds super cool, if it slows things down and kills the momentum or kills the pace, mm-hmm. then that will usually be less interesting or less like fulfilling for you and the players versus something that can be executed quickly or something that is extremely high stakes that hangs hangs by a thread yeah yeah so it's that's one of my biggest you know if i could say do one thing it's that right like be sensitive to that if we want getting into the nitty-gritties of monster design is is rough because there's not a lot of good examples of i think how to really nail it for the high tier monster design. There's a lot of solid ones. And then like the battle, there's a few where it's like, this is great, more of this. Um, but there's not a lot of ones that are battle status where I'm like, yeah, that is a thing. Do that. Um, it, it's it's really challenging to to get those really high quality monsters. So that's why you see so many from us is it's just, it seems like it's an area where people are constantly struggling. Um, I mean, we've, and we quite understand about- yeah, we we've talked about this several times. But like my my big beef of all the things is dragons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dragons aren't that co- like base level vanilla official dragons are not that cool. They're not, mm-hmm. and I I will I that is a hill I will die on. Like they are just not that cool. Uh, they they get a little bit cooler if they're in their lair, but overall for what they are and being 50% of the name of the game they are extremely generic yeah um i can sort of lean into that as a sort of example of what i would do to give dragons we did a whole book on that which was our dragonflight book which is like how to spite make them spicy without making them overcomplicated um you know one of the things that you know, you're, again, it's caution against, it's not about more. It's about taking what's there and making that more interesting. So one of the things we do for our dragons, almost always, is a le- new legendary action I give them called Deep Breath. Deep Breath recharges their breath weapon as two legendary actions, or they can use or recharge it for three sometimes, if I feel like that's more interesting. Um, but, like, the dragon taking two legendary actions to deep breath and as the dm you say the dragon like uses a legendary two legendary actions to take a deep breath and recharges his breath weapon the players are like oh (laughs) we need to spread out everyone spread out like right like it's great and it's powerful right because dragon breath that's their thing right it's scary all the dragon breath weapons are pretty like whoa we gotta take this seriously we gotta respect this so the fact that the dragon can like get that back immediately is going to prompt your players to thinking like Oh, snake. And lower tier dragons can't do it because they don't have the legendary actions. Only the adults and ancients do. So it's mm-hmm. unique, right? It's like, this is what makes them high tier, right? Mm-hmm. They can do this. They can do the things the others cannot. And it's like, oh, that's really scary. Um, we had an epic dragon who, <laughs> what was hilarious, it was a hilarious moment where he had a disintegrating beam breath weapon because cliche. Um, but what was hilarious was uh, he, his theme was he was very he was a dragon that learned how to fight really well. So in the same way that a fighter masters the sword, the dragon mastered like his claws, his bite, and his tail. He wasn't just like I'm good because this is natural. He's like I'm going to figure out how the a martial art of dragondom. 
Um, so he could grapple on a bike. So he grappled the paladin. The paladin's like, oh, whatever. I want to be in melee all the time anyway. So it's great that he's just holding me because then I always smite him. But what I had was if the dragon uses his breath weapon while he's grappling with his bite, you auto fail the save and take maximum damage. <laughs> the paladin was like, I'll be fine. Dragon's turn. <laughs> paladin disintegrated instantly, dead, like totally gone. And what was great is they had seen the breath weapon before. They knew it could disintegrate. And the paladin was obliterated. And he said, you know what? I deserve that. And I was like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I, you know how often I've heard a player say, I deserve that when you disintegrate their character? It's like almost never. But like it was so, so beautiful. Right. And it made such perfect sense. And it was something that you could only do at like a high tier because, you know, like, low tier character to be terrified to be grappled by a dragon it was great the arrogance of high level meeting uh, incredible power and innovative interaction <laughs> that just perfect perfect result yeah um, no Very i cool. think i think that brings up a really good point too is uh as a dm don't be afraid to make your villain smart at high level especially if they're high into like as a villain counterspell the revivify or you know yeah. or, oh, or as so a villain evil it, it is super evil uh as a villain like don't leave them lying on the ground i'm going to stab them twice more and perma kill them so that yeah. they don't pop back up like this is this is stuff that i would probably shy away from for lower levels or for villains that aren't that smart like the bandit leader is probably just going to focus on the next person that's up if a person yeah. goes down, whereas the Lord of all the hells knows that, oh, I want you. I don't want you popping back up. Screw that. Like, I'm just going to stab you a few more times <laughs> and make sure yeah. make it a lot harder for your friends to do something about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's. um. You know, I'm really sympathetic to the monster problem because monsters are D&D's bread and butter. And you really want to get these like super fun and interesting interactions out of monsters. And it's hard to hard to really feel that in the high tier experience where you're getting these like really interesting and unique interactions. It's kind of strange that the monsters feel like more generic at high tiers somehow than they do at low. Like you have like shadows and gas spores and like other other wacky wacky things where you're just like wait what <laughs> like why does this is the only time strength damage is like ever a thing in 5e that's really <laughs> weird and it's like super deadly too it's almost like like that's a perfect mechanic for a high tier monster because it's like that's scary as hell why is that not on like a high tier thing mm -hmm. this, is, this yeah. is not so dms i'm sorry you don't have a lot to be in it's a lot to draw from in that area and you know all i used to say is we made books to help and if you wanted to sit down and talk with me about it. I can give you tons and tons of suggestions, but it it's it's a lot to learn, right? And you gotta trial by fire, right? You gotta run the games and learn. And that mm -hmm. sucks. Exactly. Yeah. Well and as you said, don't expect perfection. Mm -hmm. And especially yeah. especially it and it, I feel like going back to our starting at low level to high level versus starting at high level, you have a lot better idea of what your players can do. You've challenged them, you know what works and what doesn't. So it's probably a little easier to craft those encounters with them in mind versus, oh no, I 
never played a 15th level cleric and monk and fighter and sorcerer all at the same time, my thing is probably just going to get obliterated. Yeah, and it, it it's tough because I feel like a lot of times DMs have end up having to use the word no more at high tiers, which is frustrating because that's simultaneously the most empowered your players have ever been, and they're hearing the word no <laughs> more than they've ever heard it. And I think that quite understandably creates a frustration for people trying to run it because the players are hearing, no, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. No, yeah. I don't want you to do that. Yeah. Is that, and, I say, is that just because the DM is just like, I'm overwhelmed or I wasn't prepared mm-hmm. or. Yeah. Right. Like I didn't know that the paladin can detect, you know, or like remove curse they can remove curses by poking people, yeah. right? And I built this whole monster around curses and the paladin is like, poke, 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 poke. I'm like, we're good, right? And it's like, oh, I didn't know they could do that. That's frustrating because I spent an hour and a half making this monster. So these are super curses now. And it's like, oh, okay. Well, that, that that's a little frustrating for everyone, I think. Yeah. In a good table, we'll handle it well, but understandably, no one's going to enjoy the fact that that happened. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Ben, did you did you have any other other specific questions on on the encounters with the no, high level stuff? This has been a huge eye opening learning experience for me, and the fact that uh, my campaign is starting to uh, go into you know later third tier with hopes of getting to fourth tier, I'm mm-hmm. very happy to have you on and to learn all this stuff. This is this is great. It's it's been a fantastic conversation. I'm so glad I, you guys have been wonderful. I'm having a wonderful time talking about this because it's my, it's my thing. I love it. So. <laughs> yeah. And, and speaking of that, uh, I want to jump to where you promote all your stuff because all this stuff we've been talking about, that's 2C Gaming's like niche. That's that's your area mm-hmm. of expertise. Yeah, yeah, we're known for that. Um, specifically, our Total Party Kill Bestiary series, which is we did two books, volume one and two, which are a hundred because we really wanted to focus on quality over quantity for the high tier stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like, let's do a hundred monsters and get those right. A um, hundred monsters that are tier three and T four exclusively. And they come with uh balance play tested. So we know they work. And then also a prescription on how to run them, <laughs> right? Let's like, this is complex. We know you write DMs. Here you go. Here's some help. So if you want to you liked everything I said tonight and you want to see all of those ideas in play, our best jury series is great. Um, that's that's my strongest, strongest recommend. But if you don't, you know, no worries. Uh, you can at least terrify your low tier players with our high tier monsters. I guarantee that. <laughs> too. You know, why not? Just have have the creature show up and be like, give me your money or I'll eat you. <laughs> right. It's an encounter. Yeah, yeah that, that is talk, an encounter. Talk, talk them down from everything to like half. Right. That's the encounter. Survive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, talk your way out of it. Yeah. It's, it's sometimes it is good to show your players that there are that not everything in the world levels with them. Mm-hmm. There's always a bigger fish. It's always a bigger fish. And sometimes there's smaller fishes that they yeah. run into, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So, uh, sometimes they get big like the fish and they have a second. Yeah. It's great. Very true. I've heard. I've heard that's one of the cool things of the um, Call of the Netherdeep adventure is that you mm-hmm. have a, a rival party that kind of levels with you. 
<laughs> and I've always thought that 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 was kind of a that's kind of an interesting idea. Uh, yeah, that goes I, on. I dig that. So that's that's pretty sweet. Um, so yeah, uh, I wanted to I wanted to give you a little space to shout out all your stuff. Uh, Total Party Kill Bestiaries for sure. Um, where can people find you? And then I wanted to make sure to shout out the current ongoing Kickstarter that Two C is oh, yeah. doing as well. Yeah, thanks. So if you like what we're talking about, yes, we do lots of high level stuff, um, but we have a whole bunch of things for you to explore over at 2cgaming.com and it's two is in the number and then c and then gaming.com all kinds of wonderful things we've been doing this for years um and we like to make stuff just for the fun of making it and then sometimes we like to you know make stuff because we think it's a really useful tool so you'll find things about villains even a little bit of adventures some trap focused stuff um encounter focused stuff and then of course our epic legacy series which is well known for being a epic tier expansion to 5e so if you're like i tier is not exciting enough then yeah you can enjoy that um, which started as a fun experiment and sort of snowballed from there for us um so i had a great time building those um, and then our current Kickstarter, The Grimoire of the Grave, is a book that we are building about undead in a similar vein to what we did for our Dragonflight book, where we were about like talking about dragons as both creatures and characters and NPCs and like how to make a game really feel like this is a special, unique thing. We're doing that for Undead now. We want to explore what does it actually mean when there's a vampire like person? Right, not just who lives on his own pocket plane, like a person who is a vampire who gets up to things. How? What is that? How does that impact does it make on the world? How can you make interesting vampires that really you know are unique and fun and interesting and lots of really fun undead stuff that if you really wanted to give them that flair to make it feel special, unique, fun, and interesting, it's probably a book you'll really enjoy. Very nice. Awesome. And where can people find you on the specifically on the interwebs? Oh, so I have a, I have a very humble Twitter presence uh, on. You can find my name, Ryan Service, at Ice Pickin. So it's Ice Pick and then UN at the end, which is a throwback to anyone who played World of Warcraft with me like a decade ago. Uh, so so stuck in my ways, as it were. Um, but yeah, you can find me and you're always welcome to tell me that you think I'm doing nonsense because I'd love to hear why your personal experience has been contrary to what I've, why I've demonstrated because I love accounting for it, right? Because then when I write the next thing, I can say some people like that person I talked to on Twitter, uh, does, they had this instead. If that happens, here's what I recommend. It's great. So tell me what you think. Awesome. And I wanted to just real quick touch a little bit on Epic Legacy, too, because this is something that has been done officially in previous editions that Wizards hasn't really touched for this edition. And I mean, as we've talked about, they haven't touched a lot of the high level stuff in general officially. Um, so this is this is levels. Uh, this is a book uh, for levels 21 through 30. Mm hmm. And yes, everything, have, everything in between. So we have three three books in the series. We have the Hero's Handbook, which is the core rules for the 21 through 30, which gives every class what we call an epic prestige class. So instead of just saying you are now fighter level 25, you're fighter 20, dreadnought 10, and that's your, your epic prestige class. Um, and then 
we have the Epic Legacy Campaign Codex, which is basically like a DMG equivalent, which is like, hey, DMs, we know you don't have a lot to build these Epic games with. Here you go. Go, you know, this is this is what you need for that. And then we have our Heroes, or uh, our Toma Titans, which is our sort of like, here are a bunch of really epic antagonists to make your epic game awesome. The Toma Titans has non-epic equivalents, so you get two versions. You get your non-epic version and your epic version. But uh, they all work together, and they're wonderful. Um, and it was sort of just like, a, man, this has never worked well in any edition. And high tier 5e runs really great. I wonder if we could push that to epic. And we did. And if you're about to think, what well, is probably just more numbers? Wrong. It's not. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not about the numbers. It's about creating those epic moments. So when you heard about like the awakened star whale and stuff, that's what we were looking for. We're not looking for the paladin to do 800 gajillion damage in a turn. That's not. It's not. It's not what we want. We want feel epic, not roll. Yeah. Epic. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got a. And you've actually got an update. Uh, coming to those those core rules here soon mm -hmm. as well right yeah so it's the hero's handbook was originally the core rule book which was one of the first things we ever did which was just like could this idea work and then because it was one of the first things we ever did we learned a lot of lessons on all the stuff we did after so we came back with the hero's handbook which is we're going to update everything and we're going to make it really good and consistent with the quality that we know we can do and just fix some of the mistakes we made when we were a relatively new design company and you know give you something super awesome so It'll, it'll be a hopefully a fantastic way to explore a new area of play for your game. You don't have to level all the way there. You can start at Epic, right? Take that character concept, take an old character you finished at level 12 and say, what happens if they got up to 20th and started an Epic campaign, right? It's a perfect way to get going. And that one, you can actually kill gods. <laughs> yes, yes. You can throw down <laughs> against all those fun boys and, and see what happens. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Can't promise you'll win, but you'll 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 give them you'll give it a good old college try. Give it a good run. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, that's awesome. And as always, we'll have links uh, to all those things in the show notes on dndiscussions.com. Uh, before we uh, finish up and talk a little bit about what we've been doing, uh, I also wanted to mention that the expert classes one D and D playtest, which has been mm -hmm. going on. The survey for that opens up October 20th. So it, by the time this episode hits on Monday, that should be open. Uh, okay. Lots of really interesting stuff. I know we did a whole episode on it last time with kind of our thoughts and feedback and all the, the likes and dislikes from the, the new survey. So make sure like doing a podcast is great. Doing big tweet threads or blog posts is great. But as Wizards has said, that survey is where all the information will get back to them in a readable, defined format. So that is the most important way to give feedback for the new 1D&D playtest. So make sure you head over there uh, if you've given it a try or even given it a read through so that you can give your, your thoughts and opinions on that. Yeah. Did you do you like the new exhaustion? No. You don't no. like the new exhaustion? <laughs> I, I, cumulative, I thought I'd ask you talked about it. Cumulative micro penalties in my fifth edition style game? Are you kidding me? Oh no. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Watsy. That that is that is like violation of the second commandment of the 5e design bible. How, how could you do that to us? 
Well, uh, that's why they're testing it. I know you guys yeah. are experimenting, but no. If you ever listen to this, no, don't do that. Yeah, but other it is, solutions. It is very important that you do, you know, go to that survey, put in your uh, opinions because Ryan and I don't agree on something. So I don't want to make sure that my opinion's in there because I know he is definitely putting his in there. Because because I actually I actually kind of like the exhaustion rules, uh, the new ones, uh, just because I feel like I can give that more mechanically to monsters like, you know, 10 levels (laughs) and stuff versus, oh, yeah, your DC goes down. Oh, yeah. Every roll on your D20 is minus one, two, three or four. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm so I'm actually I'm actually testing them out in one of my games right now. Yeah. I should say, I like the concept. There's a more elegant solution. And I'm not going to say it because why? <laughs> you have to pay me. But there is a more elegant solution that will achieve the same result without violating your design Bible. So. Yeah. And that's 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 my thing. Because I think exhaustion is very underutilized right now, just mm-hmm. in general. And when it does hit, it hits so hard. Uh, and I know that, that yep. sometimes that can be extremely frustrating for players, especially as one person has like half movement and disadvantage on everything and <laughs> whatever yeah. compared to the rest. So I, I love the idea. Like, like I said, I love that type of direction to where, OK, I can actually use this mechanically in more interesting ways or give this to monsters or something like that, mm-hmm. yeah. but not end the combat with everyone at three or four levels of exhaustion and then completely worthless for three days or, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a, yeah, there's, there's a lot that goes into that, but I, yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's, it's in a weird design space as it is currently and does need a change. Yeah. So uh, we'll have a link to that uh, again. So make sure to fill that out. Um, and that's that's about it. Uh, as always, before we go, we usually talk just a little bit about what's going on in our campaigns. And, and Ryan, I know I gave you a heads up and mm-hmm. I did. You shared your whale story, which is super cool. Uh, do you have any other like really cool story or epic moment uh, from one of your hundreds of high level games that might be fun to share, or give inspiration? Um. I have one from our play test for our total particle bestiary series, which was great. Um, one of we one of the monsters we were testing called Lich Lord, which we took a lich and a death knight, and by way of necromantic foulness, they get mushed into one thing. <laughs> um, and so a lich lord can have special phylactery. I guess we don't use that term now, so apologies, but soul container but theirs is a weapon Um, and when you defeat the lich lord if its weapon remains intact obviously the weapon is badass because if it's going to smack you with its soul weapon that's going to matter but here's what's cool when you defeat it it goes into the weapon and if you become attuned to the weapon it can't reform and it's an intelligent mat you can wield the lich that you just defeated as a weapon. Oh, that's cool. But if you die while you're holding it, it comes back instantly. It eats your soul and it's just like, it's back. So when we did the test and the weapon dropped and the players were like, oh, we grabbed it and they realized what it was. The lich is in there and they're like talking to it and they go, wait, 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 hold on. Do we keep this or do we destroy this? 
And that debate lasted for like two hours. <laughs> Holy just, crap. Like they fought, there was like a committee. It was like pro together. Like, well, now I'm in the pro. Like that, and then the back and forth. They just like, it was like one of my favorite. So I assume it was very powerful. Ever. Oh yeah. And they, they were in character too, because they were like asking the question of like, I mean, this dude, he's a bad dude. And like, what right do we have to like, even have a one, there's a 1% chance that this comes back. Like, is it worth it? And the fighter's like, yes. <laughs> Give me that sword. And like, the fighter's like, it's absolutely worth the wizard's like, well, hold on. Like, of course, the, the fighter's like, of course, the wizard would just want us to destroy the sword. But, you know, you, you have a staff of the Magi. Why well, have a plus two long sword, right? It was, it was great. <laughs> Loved it. Um, we didn't expect that. So pleasant, pleasant playtesting surprise. Uh, love that's, so super fun. That's super fun. That's super Very fun. Cool. Uh, ben, what about you? We didn't play. We had to uh, no. reschedule, <laughs> so we'll, we'll be playing this Saturday. The highest, the highest encounter possible. The CR uh, scheduling monster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's... CR three sixty five. That's a that's a rough one. Yeah. Uh, what about you, though, Ryan? I know that you're running 20 different campaigns right now, so. Oh, my oh gosh, I wish I wish <laughs> I had that kind of time. Oh, my gosh, that would be so fun. Uh, now, the uh, uh, the big stuff was from my campaign that happened last weekend. So as as I've been kind of saying, they're in the shadow fell. Uh, they are trying to find my ranger's parents uh, who she found out uh, she's kind of half Shadowfell, half human. Uh, and dad is locked up by evil matriarch grandma. Uh, and they're trying to trying to go. She's never met her parents. So she, they're trying to go. So they're currently in this big uh, travel space where I made this nice D20 travel roll encounter table. And it's actually been super fun because a lot of it is custom mechanics, uh, different Shadowfell storms, um, different encounters. They hit. <laughs> they rolled a one. Their very first. Their very first one. They hit a Nightwalker at level, you know, ten. And so it's the the encounter became not how do we kill this thing, but holy crap, how do we get away from this thing? Uh, so that ended up being a super fun encounter, especially because I had kind of teased one earlier. And they kind of saw what it could do. It's got that's I, that's a monster. Actually, a higher level monster. I actually really like it's got the cool death aura um, and it's it's just got a really fun aesthetic. Uh, so they've been doing this travel stuff while this uh, one of my big bads, this hound master has been kind of hunting them and nipping at their heels this whole time. Uh, and the two things they rolled were uh, the emotion storm. And this is a this is a custom storm I made for the Shadowfell that goes very covers a big area goes very quickly only lasts a, a minute or two, and I and this is there was a big discussion on Twitter about you know meta gaming going on and what should a DM should a DM meta game mm. or do mm. whatever for their players and this was a situation where I actually when they rolled this I was like okay guys this is how this works. This is, I don't have mechanics tied to this. This is going to be a purely role play exercise. Mm -hmm. Everyone rolls a D6 and the emotion that is attached to that number becomes massively intensified in your character. Mm -hmm. 
And I think there was, you know, there's like greed and suspicion, uh, mm. fear, joy, um, exhalation, uh, grief and sadness, and then anger and rage. Mm. And so, uh, I, I basically said, this is going to be a role play exercise. This is what you guys want to do with it, because I don't actually have mechanics tied to this. And so it was it was really cool, because since they ended up knowing that beforehand, we had a whole like probably 30 minute, 20, 30 minute thing where a few of the characters became super happy. One just became overcome with sadness. And it was the wizard who had the key portal to go back from the shadow fell. <laughs> and yeah. so she's just playing with this, this whole time. Like, Oh, do I use this? Uh, it's so dark and despair. And then the, the cleric got fear. Everyone became just to the cleric, super evil and scary and terrifying. And yeah, first thing he did was lash out with blight at <laughs> one of the characters oh. <laughs> and so there was the ramifications of oh crap how do we in these heightened states deal with what is mm. happening how do we get him under control and and so that's it played out in this whole like 30 minute encounter simply from me telling them that you're gonna roll a d6 and have an emotion intensified so that was that was it was cool. it was a super cool moment and uh highly recommend metagaming in those ways because when you do that sometimes you can get a much better experience from your players when you do that. I it's funny you mentioned that. I just wrote an article for our Patreon about how I think one of the big problems with role-playing encounters in DD is that the DM doesn't tell players we're going to have a role-playing encounter mm -hmm. they just assume that whenever anyone's not fighting that it, there's a potential role-playing encounter and that's kind of exhausting for players where it's like really talking to the shopkeeper might be a role-playing encounter right they need to like be queued up in the same way initiative cues you up for combat right like just tell them like this is a role-play thing that's what we're doing right in the same way that when you say roll initiative you're saying this is combat like that's what's happening um right and i so I like that that worked this is in support of my hypothesis. Yeah. No, there you <laughs> I'm, go. I'm glad to hear that story. <laughs> uh, and then the, the, the second encounter was hilariously uh, our warlock, his uh, patron tied, his whole backstory is tied to the hells. And he's kind of revealed a little bit of it, but the, the whole party didn't know the extent of basically he escaped from this uh, devil master, essentially, with the help of this this patron um, who then basically endowed him with power and he, he did his thing. Out of the tw the one D20 encounter table, they rolled a. Hell's coming to collect. And so because <laughs> they were in the shadow fell, the whole story is he's much easier to find in an extra planar location versus the prime material plane. And so <laughs> this hell bounty hunter shows up and I, and I love how it ended up working out because 
Devils, devil. I I feel like devils are one of my my favorite things to play because they're lawful evil. So they're not always just going to go up and start like bashing you in like a like a demon would. A demon's going to come and is just going to try and gut you and kill you and make your life absolutely miserable. A devil's going to come and go, "Hey guys, so I got this soul contract for this guy, and I'm going to need to bring him with me." And then and then the party goes, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? And then looks at the guy like, what is happening? Who is this dude? And he's he's completely nonchalant. He's very uh, he's very polite about it. And it's one of those. I don't want to have to kill y'all. Right. <laughs> I, I, I just need him and and I'll and I'll be on my way. It's not not a big deal. And so it was it was super fun because then they negotiated like, oh, can can we just have him for like a few more days and then you can come come get him, you know, because we're doing something super important and then doing like this whole negotiation thing. Uh, and it was it was super interesting. They <laughs> they ended up trying to attack him and uh, he went all predator because he got super good initiative and and went invisible. And they weren't able to track him down and they took off to try and get away. And he shot a tracking arrow. Mm. And I I was like, I'm going to just I'll have him track the guy. Right. No big deal. Until my ranger said, oh, yeah, you know, those gloves, those custom gloves you gave me that can re redirect projectiles towards me. I'm going to use those. <laughs> and so. She got it and she gets hit with the demonic tracking rune instead of the warlock dude. And I'm just like, what is going on? But it had a nice, you know, well handwritten, polite little note that's just like, you guys are super interesting. I'll give you three days. You know, what's mm. what's three days to a devil that's been tracking you for for years and that mm. has basically immortality? It's it's not a big deal. So now they've got this time limit hanging over them as they're trying to complete this other task as well. So it ended up making the entire session way more interesting than it probably would have been. Very cool. Yeah, that was a great time. Yeah. So it was it was fun. That was definitely one of the one of the most fun sessions I've had in a while. And it was in person, which made it even better. But yeah. Well, uh, with that, that's going to be the end of our show. Uh, again, Ryan, man, thank you thank so you. much for coming on and dropping so many knowledge bombs for us. Oh, you're, you're welcome. I mean, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about it because we need to have this. This conversation needs to happen because the 1D&D stuff is not encouraging that these <laughs> issues will not be present. So I'm hoping that more people can push we push need, some of these. Need more high level support. Yes, mm-hmm. we, need, we, need, we need more hype. We need more hype for the high tier stuff, guys. We need it. Yeah. You'll, you'll you'll be glad it's there. Trust me. Yeah, right. uh, I've been I've been getting two uh, C stuff for quite a while. So it was it was great that you finally got on Twitter and I was <laughs> able to to contact you and and work this out because uh, I love high level play is such an interesting cool uh, spot that I think a lot yeah. of people are missing out on, mm-hmm. and I want more people to be able to experience that. So. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully some of this advice will help. Yeah. Uh, 
But yeah, Ben, uh, why don't you tell everybody where we can be reached? All right. Uh, well, if you have any questions, comments, or want to tell us about some of your high-level gameplay, you can always email us. Send those to deandiscussions at gmail.com. If you have something a little bit more, uh, you know, small form, tightened to about maybe 280 characters or so, uh, you can reach us on Twitter. We are at dndiscussions. Uh, if you're looking for Ryan specifically, you can find him at uh, tbkzord. I am at Ben Bumhofer. And uh, as we said at the beginning, this is episode 77, which means there are 76 other episodes. You can find all of those on dndiscussions.com as well as uh, your podcast player of choice. Basically, however you're listening to this now, you can hear all those other episodes. Definitely recommend it. Uh, now, if you want to know why Ryan and I think that we actually have the ability to, to talk about D&D, you know, we want to put our, our dice where our mouth is. That sounds weird, but I'm going with it anyway. Uh, we are on Plus 5 to Hit. It is a persistent campaign uh, podcast where we are playing. Uh, we last night actually just wrapped up our summer hiatus, which took a little bit longer than summer. Uh, through the fall hiatus. Yeah, <laughs> uh, which went through the, the first year of Strixhaven. Uh, we're going to be going back to Rhyme of the Frostmaiden uh, very shortly here, which I'm excited about because we left that off at a cliffhanger that's no idea where we're going with that so anyways check out plus five to hit uh and as for this show again dn discussions thank you everybody for listening ryan it has been a pleasure talking to you ryan as always it's a pleasure talking to you and uh everybody out there until next time be good to each other take care and we'll see you later yeah